Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. Would you please join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. O oh Lord God, this is the day that you have made, and we are glad in it. And may the joy that we find in exploring your scripture and listening to your word bring us comfort and hope and strength. And may this day honor you in every way as my words honor you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. I was fascinated a couple of weeks ago by the inauguration of the president in the United States. Now, I know that it is not my country, either by birth or by adoption, although over the years I've spent many months both studying there and even preaching there. I have family that live in Massachusetts, and I have friends in everywhere from Georgia to Tennessee to California to North Carolina and to Florida. So I have an affinity for the United States. And of course, it is our border country here in Canada. But I was also fascinated by the tone of the inauguration. I listened carefully as a public speaker to the oratory to the use of images and words. And I was taken by Biden's address and analyzed it from an oratorial point of view. I also listened to the poetry of Amanda Gorman and listened carefully to the cadence of the poetry. And my mind went back actually many, many years ago to another inauguration, that of John F. Kennedy when there was also a poet, none other than Robert Frost. And he gave the poem, The Gift Outright. And in that poem, he explained how, in many ways, the land of the United States had existed before the people came to it. And that the future now is something that again is in the hands of the people, but also beyond. There is a past. There is a present, but there is also a future. And inaugurations really are moments when those three things come together. Now, an inauguration is in many ways the celebration at times of a mixture of both religious ideas and national pride. It's like a civil religion. But it got me thinking it got me thinking about something else that Robert Frost said in his most famous poem, and that is when two roads diverge in the yellow wood. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. There is a choice at times in the direction in which we go. And I've been thinking not about nations so much, but about the church. Where does the church go? And are there divergent paths 
that we too can follow. What word does the church need right now in this time? A time when many people are writing, both in magazines, in newspapers. The Telegraph in Britain has just done a significant one on this. But also other magazines and theological journals and blogs saying now in this COVID era and in the post-COVID era, what path in the wood does the church take? I've been thinking and praying about this. And my mind has turned to the passage that Laurie read today from the Gospel of John. A little convoluted in its language, but nevertheless very profound. This is a passage that is both a sermon and a prayer, a prayer in a sermonic form. There's a message here that's being sent. And Jesus has three audiences. He is departing. He is going to his Father. He knows that. There is this sense that in this parting prayer, he wants to send a message to his disciples. But I believe he's sending a message to us and to the church today. The three audiences began when Jesus prays directly to his Father. It's a moment of great intimacy, of great love. He knows that the hour has come to use Jesus' language, a reference, of course, to his crucifixion and resurrection. He talks about the Father glorifying him, lifting him up, showing the world who he really is. He thanks God for the oneness that he has with his Father, and that the Father and he are one, and they are one in this mission of salvation. But he also, from the depths of his heart, speaks about the love that he has from his Father, and the love that has sustained him and has kept him going, and that that love manifests itself in Christ's self-giving love of eternal life for others. It's beautiful, it's intimate, it's warm. But he also prays for his disciples. He thanks that they have kept the word, that they have been faithful to that very moment when he is with them about to depart and prays for them from the bottom of his heart. He prays that as he is one with the Father, so they may be one with each other. He thanks God, that they have been protected by grace and that they have been sanctified by the truth. These things he is grateful for, but he prays that they may continue for the life of the disciples. But then he prays for us. He talks about those who will believe in what the apostles teach and their word about him. He prays also that those who follow will also be one, as the disciples are one, as he and the Father are one. He prays that the church too will be protected, and that they will continue the work of the apostles, and that they will do it in the bond of the love that the Father has for the Son 
and the Son has for the Father. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a prayer for the church at all times. And so as we are in this moment of questioning our future, of discovering which of these divergent roads we travel, which direction we go in, I believe that prayer is our guide. And that prayer is the way that we can move forward. And there are a couple of things that really, for me, stand out about this road that we're to travel. And the first is that wherever we go, we go together. Wherever we go, we go together. The path into the future is unknown. We have no idea, really, do we, what the future holds. We have no concept of it. We might imagine it. We might try and plan and think about certain things. But there are some immutable things that we should consider. And one of them is our unity. And I don't mean organic unity. I don't mean structural and functional unity. I'm talking about a unity of purpose a unity of mission, of knowing that that mission is what drives us forward into the future. And if we have a commonality, if we have a vision of that mission, then in a sense there is a lot of ways in which we can go, but we go together as a unified group. And we do so then with no fear. We do so with no apprehension. The problem I think that so many of us face, especially when we're right now locked in our rooms or our apartments, are constrained and confined by our relationships, is that we tend to think in very individualistic terms, do we not? There is coming out of all of this kind of a hyper-individualism. And yet at the same time, are we not realizing that that kind of hyper-individualism simply cannot last or sustain us, particularly when things open up and get back to whatever normal will be. I mean, think of it for a moment. If you're driving down the 401, it doesn't matter how good a driver you are and how moral and upright you are. If a drunk driver decides they're going to drive on your side of the road, you are then dependent on somebody else and their wisdom. Every time you get in a vehicle, you have to, in some ways, rely on the fact that you're on a road with other people. When we think of education and, and the ability to learn, do we not need teachers who help and inspire and direct and guide us? No one can learn completely on their own without teachers. I mean, I was even thinking about this with taxes and, and people being doing their tax returns very soon. I'm saying, oh, gee, we have to pay taxes. Yeah, at the same time, we also like our health care and we like our roads to be in good condition and we certainly need people to help us when we're in times of trouble. So maybe we recognize we do, in fact, need others. And it's not just about ourselves. Well, it's the same with our walk with God. It's the same with the mission of the church. 
whatever we do, wherever we go, we're going to go together. This is the unity that we need to have in our sense of mission. I know that Robert Frost in that poem had an even greater line. He said he took the road less traveled. And I think as a church, we're going to a road that perhaps after COVID is less traveled. We don't know really where it is going. But I liken the church and our direction in all of this more to a union station than just simple tracks. That the church is the gathering place, is it not? It is the coming together of things rather than just the spreading out of things or going on our own way. I think, for example, of the difference, the distinction that we even saw a few months ago between the gathered community that was physically present and the virtual community that is watching and listening through the church website and the radio, though most of us, well, all of us, are basically there right now. But the church going forward has to be, in a sense, two tracks coming in at the same time. There has to be a coming together of both the virtual and also the gathered community. There will need to be a gathering of those who have had an established relationship with the church who are baptized and confirmed those who have had a long-standing relationship with the church and those who are new to the faith, those who have heard the gospel and responded to it. And I'm sure that both are listening right now. But together, to form the mission, the church must move forward. The church must move forward, I believe, also by the listening to voices, both present but also past. It is like Union Station bringing together the voices of those who perhaps have not always been heard to bring together, and this has been certainly a discussion and a movement in the last few months and, and the last year of indigenous voices, of black voices, of voices of various and disparate people, who want to be heard and need to be heard, but we also need to hear the voices of the past. We cannot just dismiss that which has come to us and been given to us and a collective wisdom of the faith. It's not just now that matters, it's the recognition. And Robert Frost said this in his poem at that inauguration, that there have been things that have existed before us from which we need to learn. That's why we're studying Dietrich Bonhoeffer right now. I see the fact that the church has got to come together as one in its mission and draw together the disparate parts. And whatever road that takes us, whatever form it looks like, that is the way that we're faithful, I believe, to Jesus' prayer for us, that we be one, that we be one in a common mission, that was shared by the apostles, that was manifested in the ministry of Jesus, and that ultimately is to the glory of God. This is an eternal mission. But let's be clear, wherever we go, we go first with God. 
The wow, from an anthropological point of view, us being together is a good idea. And there is a need for us to be together and to share in a common mission. Be under no illusion. Our unity is a spiritual unity. It is a unity that comes from our walk and our relationship with God in Jesus Christ. It is not just something that we sort of make up on the go. I know that throughout the history there have been all kinds of attempts, both to fragment the church when there was a need for renewal and reformations and revivals, and there have been times when the church has come back together and there's been a greater sense of unity and there's been organic unity. I mean, this church in which I stand right now is a testimony to the creation of the United Church of Canada in 1925 created to have a singular mission in Canada and to bring together different denominations to do it. And regardless of our history and our ups and our downs, our blemishes and our successes, the fact of the matter is that those things, in a sense, only matter on a peripheral level. What really matters is the unity that comes from our being drawn into the presence of God in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ and his Lordship take over our lives and that we become one with Christ. And having become one with Christ, we live in one glory to the Father. That's what really draws us together. That is the focus. That is the central gathering point at Union Station. It is the spirit of Christ himself. And so as a church, as believers, as new believers, even as people who are seekers, come to that point and you will find your unity. But it is also, most especially, a bond of love. I mean, Jesus talks, does he not, a lot in John's gospel. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If love is not at the center and the core of our relationship with God and our understanding of God's forgiveness and grace and power in our lives, if we do not have that love, what do we have? Not much, really. But with that love... We have everything, including that which is eternal, that which lasts, that which is of God. It also means, too, that we have no fear, no fear of the future. A lot of people right now, I believe, are really grasped by the fear of the future. We're frightened, are we not, that we're not going to get the vaccines that we want in the time that we want them. We're frightened about the division that might occur in our society where some receive vaccines and others do not. We're frightened about the effects of those vaccines on us. We're frightened about what kind of a world emerges. But there comes a point where as Christians, we put that fear to one side and we trust in something greater than ourselves. And this is what Jesus is getting at in his prayer for the disciples and in his prayer for the church, to in a sense trust in him.
it was just over 40 years ago, it's hard to believe, that I visited a small town in South Africa with friends in the middle of the summer. It was January, that's why I remember it very well. January 1980, in the midst of the Southern Hemisphere summer. And my friends in Langaban and I were sitting under willow trees by the ocean in 40 degree Celsius temperature, not minus 40, 40 degrees Celsius. And I'm resting under a tree. And I've shared this story with some of you, and you know the story, but it is worth repeating. As I am sitting there under a tree with a magazine on my lap, trying to enjoy the shade, my friend, Michael, who had invited me to his cottage, looked at me with the sternest face. He was almost ashen white, and he said, Andrew, trust me, do not move. I thought he was kidding me at first. I gave a little laugh, and he says, and with greatest seriousness, Andrew, for God's sake, I'm telling you now, do not move. What's going to happen to you in the next few minutes might shock you, but do not move. The next thing I heard was a police vehicle coming. And I'm thinking, Lord, they're going to arrest me for something. But unfortunately for me, at that moment, two policemen came out with R1 rifles in their hands. And the police officer said to me, Sir, whatever I'm going to do in the next few minutes, <laughs> do not move. I took him seriously. He spoke to me in both English and in Afrikaans, he wanted to get the message clear. He picked up his rifle. He aimed it at what I thought was my head. My friend Michael was standing next to him. And he shot right above my head. And I could smell something burning. And I had no idea. And they said, run. So I ran immediately towards them. They told me that hanging over my head from one of the branches was what is known as a boomslang, the most deadly snake in Africa. And that was hovering over my head. The level of trust that I had to place in those police officers saved my life and I'm forever indebted to them all these years later. In many ways, there are some devilish boom slangs lurking for the church. There are dangers as we go into this divergent path in the yellow wood. There is the danger that we will become complacent that having lived in isolation, we forget the importance of worship and the glorification of God with our voices, our hearts, and our lives. There is the danger of nominalism, where we think that this really is not that important, except maybe for some 
entertainment value on a Sunday morning. We might become passive and feel that we do not need to engage with the issues of the world, that we do not need to struggle for justice, that we do not need to give pastoral care to the weak, that we do not need to teach the young, that we do not need to feed the poor, that we do not need to hear the word, that we do not need to celebrate the sacraments, that we do not need to learn of God deeply. These are the boomslangs that hang over us. But we have no need to fear. If we are one with Christ, if we are one with each other, if we're built up in the bond of the Spirit, then I have no fear for the future of the church. For the church is not just a collection of people, nor is it just an institution, and it is certainly not just a series of buildings. It is a fellowship that is based on and forever empowered by the very Lord Jesus Christ himself. In 2013, at Wycliffe College, the university, the college, gave an honorary degree to the famous baseball player who was with the Blue Jays at the time, R.A. Dickey. And you might wonder why you'd give it to a baseball player. We wondered at the time, and I even quoted him right after the, the ceremony because he gave the speech, a baseball player, at a seminary's graduation. I must admit, I did wonder why. And why don't we do that for soccer players? But that's an aside. So I went back just recently, and I reread what he said that day. And I think it's a wonderful clarion call for the church in its divergent roads. He said this, I think one of the things that we share in common whether we're Canadian or whether we're American or whether we're African, it does not matter. We are at all times bound by adversity and tribulation to some degree. Maybe the loss of a loved one, maybe a broken relationship, maybe something deeper, but we're all in that together. And I have realized that at many points in my life, I hope that we might go then into this world to have an impact on the lives of other people. I have started to develop disciplines and mechanisms and prayers to deal with the broken world. But I also realize how beautiful this world is and how I go about being able to hold both the tragedy of this earth and the joy of this earth in one of the great challenges of my life. As I continue my life, whether it's at the Rogers Center or here with you at the college, God has given me a responsibility to invest every moment, every conversation, every relationship with whoever and devote it to the Lord Jesus Christ. This, I think, is the perfect union and is the roadway for the church to follow. May the Lord give us the strength to do it. Amen.